Today's epistle reading and focus passage is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible or device. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little And I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. Well, the date is in, and the sad truth is that practicing gratitude is not that common. A 2018 scientific report in The Guardian reports on an experiment by a group of scientists who took recordings of more than a thousand casual conversations from around the world and revealed that hardly anyone ever said thank you when others helped them out. Overall, people expressed their thanks once in every 20 interactions involving an exchange. Once in every 20 occasions did someone say thank you. But rather than reflecting manners or a descent into rudeness, the findings say more about traditions, the researchers said. Across cultures, close-knit groups of people take it for granted that people will cooperate with each other to the point that saying thanks is no longer needed. So there you go, issue solved, right? We just expect to be served, we expect to serve others, so there's no point in saying thank you or expressing gratitude anymore, is it? Or is there? This past Wednesday night, we watched a video of a TED Talk. If you don't know what that is, go home and Google it. But a TED Talk is where someone spreads an idea about technology, or design, or some thought, or something they have worked on. And the author A.J. Jacobs, who calls himself a lifestyle experiment, experimenter, decided to go on a quest to thank everyone responsible for his morning cup of coffee. Not too hard, right? He went to the coffee shop and thanked his barista, and we'll get to that momentarily, But as he started digging and learning about all the people that he was responsible for and thanking for his morning cup of coffee, 
well, things got a little heavy and loaded. He found out he had to thank the trucker who delivered the coffee to the coffee shop. He learned he had to thank the people who paved the roads for the trucker to get to that coffee shop. He had to thank the people who created the asphalt or made the asphalt. He had to thank the architects who constructed the building and constructed the building where the coffee was roasted in. He had to thank biologists, miners, goat herders, thousands of people he had to pursue around the world to, think, to thank for his cup of coffee. He said it allowed him to focus on the hundreds of things that go right in his life rather than the few that go poorly. When he met his barista and thanked her, he learned how poorly she had been treated by people who were pre-caffeinated, as he put it. He had to thank his coffee roaster. He thanked the man who made the lid to his coffee because it allowed his nose to not hit the cup. He thanked the coffee farmers in Central America and even they said, you can't stop with us because someone had to make the trucks that delivered the steel here and the coffee here for our machines. And that came from all over the world. So he went all over, thanking thousands of people. His book ended up being called Journey of a Thousand Thanks because that's literally what it took to thank everyone for his morning cup of coffee. He realized it doesn't take a farmer or a roaster or a barista. It takes a world to make a cup of coffee. There's something sacred, isn't there, in recognizing the little things in life that compel us to express gratitude and to give our thanks to God. In today's passage, we are given on direction on how we can do just that. In a world that seems to no longer value saying thank you or expressing gratitude for the big things and the small things, Paul has given us a word on how we can practice gratitude regularly. Paul says we can rejoice because the Lord is near and cast our worries aside. That's perhaps the starting point of gratitude, rejoicing because the Lord is near. This should mean something considering the source, because Paul was writing this letter from prison. If there was anyone who had earned the right to be pessimistic or angry or bitter or to take a time to simply not express gratitude... It might have been the Apostle Paul, who had simply answered God's call on his life only to be thrown in prison. And yet Paul says, not so. Paul says to rejoice, to be gentle with those around you, even those who mistreat you, and do not worry, but pray and give thanks. Paul isn't dismissing the concerns or the evils of the world. Paul is reminding the church not to neglect saying thanks in everything. Paul goes on to say that finding joy and gratitude in life is about directing focus towards that which is from God. 
Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, commendable, if there is excellence in anything, if there is anything you value and worthy of praise, dwell on those things so that you may give thanks. I've noticed Paul is a really good list maker. Do we have some good list makers in this room? Paul does a good job. When Paul gets something in his head, he writes down everything to remember. For instance, Paul lists those things that never separate us from the love of God, you know, angels, power, heights, nor depths. Paul makes a list. Paul lists all the things that love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love is boast. I can imagine Paul taking out his notebook and making a list of these things like some of you do. Paul also lists those unrighteous things, immoral, idolaters, thieves, etc., etc. Paul is good at making lists. And so Paul is also good at making a list about thanksgiving or those things that we should be thankful for. Truth, honor, justice, purity, those things that are pleasing and excellent in our lives. Paul gives us a list of things to be thankful for. Not one of them is material, you notice. When was the last time you sat and dwelled on all the good things God created? I'll give you an example, not from me, but from my daughters. Our girls like to pray at the dinner table. Macy prays the longest. Because prior to eating, she thinks of every good thing to give thanks for. Mom, Dad, Maggie, Jesus, yogurt, candy, applesauce, macaroni, candy, pawpaw, pawpaw not being sick anymore, Parker, Kitty. The list goes on, and boy, it goes on. Because often I'm ready to eat, but Macy teaches me an important lesson. To dwell on the good things of this world and to remember all we have to be thankful for, no matter how small or mundane. She's caught on to this gratitude thing, I think, a little better than I have. Maggie does something similar. Well, she, she shows Thanksgiving in an equally impactful way for me. I remember a time in the past couple of summers, there was a big field behind our house, and Maggie went out and fi- found a wild weed that had bloomed. It, it was a weed of some kind, but it had a purple bloom on it. And so Maggie got excited, and she brought it in, and she put it in a box, and drew on it, and put stickers on it, put tissue paper around the flower and the weed, took it to bed with her. That's not the first time that's happened either. She found something to be thankful for, an everyday object, a weed for crying out loud. She brought it in a box, valued it, and treasured it, and dwelt on God's creation. So much to be thankful for. But Paul also says we must learn contentment. It must be learned. 
Once again, Paul doesn't seem to imply that contentment sets in overnight. It's something we need to practice and work into our own hearts. I think sometimes we think that being content means we can't enjoy life. Sometimes we're mistaken in thinking that being content means we can't enjoy good food or we can't enjoy our technology or we can't enjoy movies or television or we can't enjoy money or we can't enjoy gifts. But nothing in Paul's words encourage us to cease finding joy in life. Perhaps we simply need to learn the contentment to express gratitude for that which we already have and that which is good. In five days, we enter the season of Advent, a time that, believe it or not, is a season of fasting. In many traditions, the season leading up to Christmas is a time of fasting in preparation of Christmas. And so there are still some traditions where people practice fasting during Advent. And yet in five days, you will be bombarded day after day, night after night, ad after ad, saying, you are not content. You are not content, and here's why. Society pushes back on Paul's word. We're told we are not content, but Paul has something different to say. Paul says, whether you have everything, you can find contentment, or whether you are poor, you can find contentment. Once again, this video that we watched on Wednesday was quite impactful. One of the people that A.J. Jacobs visited was the coffee roaster who was in charge of testing the coffee and drinking it and making sure it was the right flavor. And they talked about how this roaster would simply take a spoon or a very small cup of coffee and just slurp it into his mouth. I'm not going to make the noise for you. He wouldn't drink a whole cup of coffee and then afterwards say, oh, that was good or that was bad. He would take just a small part and slurp it and allow it to touch his cheeks and his lips and his tongue because there are taste buds all over. And this, in many ways, is the act of savoring. In other words, this is a professional coffee saverer one who was charged with the task of making sure the coffee tasted right and was roasted correctly, and so he was charged with savoring coffee. Sounds like a really good job, by the way, doesn't it? Bill Walker, my goodness, he's not even in here. He'd go crazy. Savoring the good things of life is what Paul encourages us to do from his prison cell. Savoring the blessings that God gives to us and compels us to say, thank you. Of course, as the church, we are most thankful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who in just a few weeks, we will be celebrating his incarnation. We will be celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. We will be celebrating the life of Jesus Christ and then on throughout the year, celebrating his life and ministry, celebrating his passion and journey to the cross and the sacrifice he made for all of humanity and then the hope of the resurrection. That is where our thanksgiving lies. 
And we're about to observe that more fully as we take of Lord's Supper together. But before we get there, I want to make sure you're aware that this is a Thanksgiving meal. We don't always think of it that way, but some traditions call this Lord's Supper the Eucharist. And do you know the word that that comes from is Eucharisto, which in Greek means thanks. Thanksgiving, because we are thankful for all that Christ has done for us. We must regularly practice thanksgiving, and this is the starting point. That's why we regularly come together and take of this Lord's Supper meal as a way of saying thank you to Jesus Christ and being thankful in the presence of our church family. As we prepare to move into this time of Lord's Supper, I'm going to challenge us to do one thing differently. We're going to take of the Lord's Supper as we usually do here at First Baptist Church, but I want you to do something with me as we take of Lord's Supper today. After we have eaten the bread, and then after we have taken the cup, I'm going to prompt you to say thank you out loud. Lord's Supper is usually a very quiet time. That's a good thing so that we can reflect and honor the reverence of this moment. But let's today make sure that we, that this is truly a Thanksgiving meal. And so once again, after you take of the bread and after you drink of the cup, I will prompt you and you will simply say, thank you, Jesus. Can we do that together as we take of Lord's Supper today? Let's bow together and pray.